welcome to a brand new episode of Opera After Dark. Votes for women! Votes for women! That's my sound effect. Yay! That's good. I liked it. <laughs> I liked it. So today we're talking about another badass woman. Woohoo! Yeah, exactly. Before we do that, I think we need to make mention of this wine that Naomi and I drank and we're now really drunk off of because it was very good. Naomi, mm-hmm. would you like to talk about it? Sure. Okay. It says... It's a big bottle. What's it called? It's How called- dare you, sir? <laughs> <laughs> it is called Rock and Vine. Rock and Vine. Three Manches. Mm. And it is described thusly. Our Rock and Vine Cabernet Sauvignon showcases rich blackberry and a cassis flavors intermixed with roasted coffee beans and cocoa aromas. Flavors of sweet oak and spice combined with tobacco and black cherries linger throughout a lengthy finish. This wine pairs tremendously with a wide array of foods such as roasted and grilled <laughs> meat and pastas. She's moving the bottle. And I can't roasted try. and grilled. <laughs> grilled meats and pastas. Yes. Contain sulfites. <laughs> <laughs> Don't drink if pregnant. <laughs> It does say that, too. Wow, that sounds like a lot going on in a wine. It's a lot. It is a lot, but it's delightful. It's a delightful complex. Delightfully complex. Yeah. So today we're we're talking about a badass woman. We're talking about a badass woman. Do you have any idea who we're talking about? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't you say Gertrude? No. I no one said Gertrude. You wish. I'm still hung up on Gertrude. <laughs> no one said Gertrude. No, today we're going to talk about Ethel. Ethel. <laughs> Ethel. Not Gertrude, Just, but you Ethel. know, one of those names that wouldn't be for anybody under the age of 90. Currently. Hey, now, I bet you hipsters are naming their babies Ethel. Probably. It's entirely possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so Entirely. <laughs> entirely possible. Um, so Ethel. You said last name Stein. Smythe. Smythe. Oh yes, yes. Like Smith with a Y. Smythe. Smythe or Smythe. I think it's Smythe. Ethel Smythe. Ethel Smythe. Has a good yeah. ring Anybody to it. Anybody knows? Let 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 me know, or let someone else know, so I don't feel stupid. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we've straightened it out. Ethel Smythe. <laughs> Um, so Ethel Smythe is famous, I think most famous, for being the first woman to ever have an opera performed at the at the Met. Ah. Wow. The turn of the 20th century, and then no other woman had an opera that they composed performed at the Met until last season when Kaya Sayaho uh, presented L'Amour de Loin, yes. and that was 100 years after the fact. So, mm-hmm. what's that, 1916 is when her opera premiered at the Met. Dang. Um, and she was a pretty interesting lady. And I want to, um, before I get into her like background and history, I want to like preface this a little bit. Preface. So, I live, um, I live in Brooklyn, and I live not too far from the Brooklyn Museum, and one of the big standing exhibits at the Brooklyn Museum is something called The Dinner Party. And it was created by this artist named Judy Chicago, I think in the 70s. And what it is is you go into this room and it's a huge table. 
um, that goes along the entire room, and each place setting represents a different sort of badass woman <gasps> in history. Uh, Clara Schumann is on there. Nice. Um, like, basically every sort of possible woman that you can think of. And Ethel Smythe, if you go, or Smythe, sorry. Oh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> uh, if you go, she has a place setting at the dinner party. Nice. Um, that's awesome. So there's a little uh, run- runner at her place setting that depicts a musical staff in which the uh, capital letter E is sort of incorporated into the image of a G clef. Nice. Um, there's a metronome on there, and there also is um, a little sort of toy piano that's created nice. for her. And the runner is also made to sort of represent a tweed suit that's been cut open and laid out as if it's been tailored. And that's because um, when she grew up and sort of started her career she only wore men's tailored suits nice um and we can get in that to that in a little bit later but it was uh really really scandalous for the time period mm-hmm. um but she was an out and out uh lesbian nice which was also super scandalous for at this the, time at that time she was so, born in 1858 and she died in 1944 okay in England, born in, in England. London, uh, died right. in like Woking, I think, which is some like suburb of right. London, whatever. Um, so she was born in Kent, and she was the fourth of a family of eight children. Her father, this guy named John, was a major general in the Royal Artillery. Oh, wow. So you can imagine he was pretty sort of straight laced. And she exhibited an interest in a career in music from a very young age, and her dad was like, mm. I don't think so. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. But Ethel was like, nope, I'm doing this. Um, so she studied with a private tutor, and then she actually attended the Leipzig Conservatory, where she met many composers of the day, such as Dvorak. <gasps> nice. Grieg. Hmm. And Tchaikovsky. So, Dang. Wait. wait, she was Leipzig. at school at the same time? Whatever. <laughs> I was like, wait, is there a town in England called Leipzig? No, Leipzig, whatever. I was going to I was so going to say not, it, but I thought after I'm the just... whole Smythe thing. No, no, fine. I, I do wanna... it. Here, you do it. No, Here. no, 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 no. Here are my notes. No. You, you do it. I'm just making sure I know where she went. She went to Germany, it's not to England. Leipzig. Is it? I don't know. <laughs> I think so. I think. The second vowel in German. I don't know if it's Leipzig. I think it's. Leipzig, like pizza, like Leipzig, Leipzig, like kind of an e out. No, the, no, it's a, it's a G right at the end. Leipzig. We we... Well, anyway, well, she was there. She was like, these people suck, and I don't want to go here anymore. So she left after a year. Wait, with um, Elspeth, what other scenario do people suck, and you don't want to be there anymore? This scenario, right now. I wish everybody could see Elspeth's face. She looks like she's ready to slap a bitch. Um, so she left the conservatory and she studied privately with a man named Heinrich von Herzenberg Mm. and then she sort of started this career as a composer she lived in England for many years Um, she wrote a bunch of different works chamber operas operas, chamber music, orchestral pieces things like that Um, her piece The Wreckers was uh, actually conducted by the American Symphony Orchestra, but not until September of 2007. Dang. Right. 
Um, she wrote a lot. Um, a famous piece of hers was a concerto for violin, horn, and orchestra. That sounds nice. Which I think we should take a listen to right now. that was the Met Opera. That's what I it always said. assumed I it, it was, was the Wreckers, Wreckers but, but it's not. Yeah. I think they did the Wreckers at Bard? Possibly. Yeah, it wasn't. It says... Uh, yeah. Do you know if... Thing. So when she had this performed at the Met, was, was she openly gay? Like, was yes. she out at that point? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I just feel like the Met has a history of being like very... Um, I don't know. Conservative? Conservative. Like, very protective of its reputation, as it should be in many ways. Uh, But so that's just surprising that that didn't cause an outrage. Perhaps, but maybe she was just so well-respected by all of these well-respected men Mm -hmm. that it kind of got her up. I don't know. She, She battled with that a lot in her career. Um... I have a quote here from a critic called Eugene Gates, who said that Smythe's music was seldom evaluated as simply the work of a composer among composers, but as that of a woman composer. Mm. Um, She was alternately praised and panned for writing music that was considered too masculine for a lady composer. Oh, jeez. Yeah. On the one hand, I don't know. (laughs) On the one hand, when she composed powerful, rhythmically vital music, it was said that her work lacked feminine charm. On the other, when she produced delicate, melodious compositions, she was accused of not measuring up to the artistic standards of her male colleagues. Damned if you do, and damned if you don't. 
I know, exactly. Yeah. She dealt with that in her entire life. But um, a big part of her life was um, in 1910, she joined the Women's Social and Political Union, which was a suffrage organization. Votes for women! And she gave up her <laughs> career in music for two years to devote herself entirely to the cause. Wow. wow. And in 1911, she wrote a piece that later became an anthem for the women's suffrage movement called The March of Women. And let's listen to that right now. So the following year in 1912, when the woman who ran the Women's Social and Political Union, a lady named Emmeline Pankhurst, she called on members of the organization to break a window in the house of any politician who opposed votes for women. Dang. So Smythe was one of the 109 members who responded to Pankhurst's call, and she was like, yeah, we're doing this. So she, along with Pankhurst and 100 other women, were arrested. <gasps> And she served two months in prison for this. Dang. So she's a criminal. So she is a criminal. But um, she was also friends with uh, a man named Thomas Beecham. And he went and visited her in the prison. And he said he found all the suffragettes marching in the square and singing. And Smythe was leaning out of a window conducting a song with a toothbrush. So they were, like, doing okay. Dang. That's, like, ultimate. okay. Girl power. It was mm-hmm. ultimate Woman power. Woman power. So uh, a little bit something about her life. I said she was the fourth of eight children, and she had uh, a lot of passionate affairs in her lifetime, and most of them were with women. Hmm. Um, she had a friend and philosopher who was also a librettist for some of her more famous operas named Henry Bennett Brewster, and they say that he might have been her only male lover. Hmm. Okay. Um, she wrote to him in 1892 saying, I wonder why it is so much easier for me to love my own sex more passionately than yours. I can't make it out for I'm a very healthy-minded person. Dang. Uh, she Isn't, was also... That's like kind of sad. Yeah. Like she is trying to puzzle out what doesn't make sense about it all when it's just who she is. 
mm-hmm. and should have been accepted, but wasn't. I know that doesn't need pointing out, but very sad. It is very sad. Um, she also, Emmeline Pankhurst, who I mentioned a second ago, who ran that suffragette movement, um, who was married to a man. She and Ethel also had a tumultuous romantic liaison. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> um, and when Ethel was 71, she fell in love with um, the writer Virginia Woolf. Dang, Ooh. Ethel. I know. <laughs> Ooh, Ethel said, both alarmed and amused, that it was like being caught by a giant crab. <laughs> Hopefully not literally. <laughs> Wasn't Virginia Woolf also married to a man at that time she was but there's that whole like bloomsbury group thing where there's all yeah. these artists living together and everybody was just like fucking each other. <laughs> oh really you don't know about this no i feel like we need to do an episode on that entirely on the bloomsbury yeah i mean i guess well, wait but can you tell us like, I... a little bit about it just off the top of your head that's really the top of my head that's it there's like six or seven of them they're all married or whatever and they lived in a house in like the countryside and they'll fuck each other. It's like having sex all the time. All these artists. Is this at all related to the movie The Hours? Probably. No. I haven't seen The Hours. Neither have The I. Hours is it's the score for the movie is so good. It's Philip Glass. Um Ooh. Wait, and um, when But I th- I think I could be wrong, but I think The Hours is about Virginia Woolf's suicide. When was this taking place, Elspeth? This artist collective uh, like 1920s, 1930s. Huh. All right, people. You go. You do your thing. Okay, so Wikipedia says that the Bloomsbury Group, or the Bloomsbury Set, was an influential group of associated English writers, intellectuals, philosophers, and artists, Best, the best-known members of which included Virginia Woolf, John Maynard Keynes, mm-hmm. E.M. Forster, and Lighton Strachey. Strachey? They were all fucking each other. Dang. Um, it's always although, good when we can earn our explicit rating. You're right. welcome, Although everybody. its members denied being a group in any formal sense, they were united by an abiding belief in the importance of the arts. I think they were united by more than that. Ayo! <laughs> but apparently they were known for having a very modern attitude towards feminism, pacifism, and sexuality. Excellent. Hmm. That's what you want. Mm-hmm. So to jump back to Ethel. Yes. <laughs> Back so, to Ethel. 1912 <laughs> was a pretty big year for to her. To jump back, jump on, back Ethel. on Ethel. I mean, back to <laughs> Ethel. Uh, so 1912 was the year that she was arrested. She was in prison for two months. Um, and also was the year that she began losing her hearing, much like Beethoven. <gasps> no. After visiting an oral specialist, an oral specialist, excuse me. <laughs> uh, in Paris, she went to Egypt. Uh, she began Uh-oh. working on an opera called The Boatswain's Mate. And it became one of the most revolutionary pieces she completed, due in part to her unorthodox style and method. The first half of the opera contained both words and music, but the second half was entirely instrumental. Wow. The Boatswain's oh. Mate, a more accessible and lighthearted piece for the general public, was partially in response to the grand opera style of the time, which emphasized splendor and sophistication. So she received several distinguished awards and recognitions. I didn't quite mention that in 1922, but she became a dame of the British Empire. <gasps> dame. Yeah. Dame Ethel. 
Dame Ethel, but in spite of that, she continued to have difficulty getting her music published and performed because she was a woman. Jeez. So crazy. What's a dame got to do? What a dame got to do? (laughs) She ultimately gave up her music career um, mainly due to the fact of her increased hearing loss. Oh. But then she discovered she had a new interest in literature and between 1919 and 1940, she published 10 highly successful, mostly autobiographical books. Wow. Um, she wrote about her life in several biographies. Uh, one, The Impressions That Remained in 1919, and the memoir, Streaks of Life in 1921, which captured her experiences in music, activism, and as an open lesbian, discussed her romantic involvement with famous women of her time, including Lady Pauline Trevelyan, the Empress Eugene, the heiress, Winneretta Singer, oh, this woman got around, uh, Lady Mary Ponsby, the writer Ethel, uh, Edith Somerville, and, like I said before, Virginia Woolf. Wow. Damn. Those are some super powerful ladies. Super powerful ladies. Did they deny it? Like, was there any drama around that? Um, That I don't know. Or I wonder if, like, the I estates of any there, of these people was. were like, no, no. I imagine that there was. That yeah. they were all, like, this is all sort of. Drama. Drama, drama. But she died in 1944 at the age of 86. And she remains a highly regarded female composer and a strong musical and political voice of the early 20th century. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit about Ethel. That's amazing. Smith Smythe. She is super important Smith. in like the history of women in music because... She is. I don't know anything by her. Like, I've never heard anything by her. I've heard a little bit of The Wreckers, mm-hmm. and I've heard a little bit of Dervault, mm-hmm. but mostly because I had, like, looked up that she was, or heard about her being the first woman to have an opera the at the Met, and I was like, I've never heard anything by this lady. for a right. long time. Yeah. Yeah. So then I was like, who is this person? Jay Methel. Mm-hmm. Can we listen to a little bit of The Wreckers? I don't think we've had that yet. Yeah, no, we haven't. Let's let's play out to the wreckers. Okay. And uh, we highly encourage you to, you know, look into some of the music of Dame Ethel because... Yeah, I feel like I skimmed over this really quickly, but there's obviously hey. a lot more to her. Mm-hmm. And definitely check out her biographies. Fast and, and Furious. Interesting lady. Yeah, Fast and Furious. How we mm-hmm. like it. And in the meantime, we'll post about her on the blog. We'll tweet about her. We'll post on Facebook. So find us on all the social medias. Opera yes. After Dark, everywhere also, that you look. since we've got some extra time, uh, please go ahead and subscribe to the podcast wherever yeah. you're listening to it, whether it's iTunes, Google Play Music, what have you. Mm. Uh, and if you have a minute, please leave a review. That would be really cool. A nice one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah none of this mean stuff. None of this mean stuff. I won't yeah. have it. We're, we're doing our best here, people. We're trying. <laughs> we're trying here, people. Give us a break. Yeah, that would be great because it helps people find our podcast. Yeah. For sure. So with that, we'll listen to a bit of the records. And until next time, I'm Naomi. I'm Elspeth. And I'm Kyle. Thanks for listening to this episode of Opera After Dark. Bye. If luck should turn tonight, the wind from the south and save our children's lives, drive some ship on the rocks, bring us food or we die. Oh, we die.
Let's take a gander at it. Dun, dun, dun. March of women. March of women. Women are marching, gonna get the vote. 